Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. In November of 1995... 11-month-old Nicholas Gagnon died suddenly at home in Sudbury, Ontario. His loss was devastating for his young mom, Leanne, and her parents, Morris and Angie. Initially, Nicholas's death was ruled a sudden, unexplained death, with no foul play suspected. But 18 months later, as Leanne was about to marry and start a family with her new husband, a terrible cloud descended upon the Gagnons. A second autopsy was ordered, based on the suspicions that the province's leading pediatric forensic pathologist had about how Nicholas died. Dr. Charles Smith was a revered figure in the Canadian forensic medical community. In a career that spanned more than two decades, Dr. Smith had performed more pediatric autopsies than any other specialist. His opinions held huge sway in legal circles. And he was convinced that Leanne, in a moment of rage against her young baby, had killed Nicholas with a blow to his head. Sudbury police reopened the investigation into Nicholas's death and spent nearly a year trying along with Dr. Smith, to prove Leanne was guilty of a heinous crime. It was very scary because I felt like all these people are, are trying so hard to bring me down, and I was, I was terrified. Leanne's father, Morris, was a senior bureaucrat with the provincial government. He knew how government worked, or at least how it was supposed to work. And when Dr. Charles Smith targeted his daughter in what Morris considered a ridiculous murder charge. They didn't have to prove we were guilty. They had to, we had to prove we were innocent. And that's the way they operated. Morris Gagnon started investigating Smith and his superiors in the coroner's office. Smith cannot operate in the vacuum. We had to have support from the deputy chief coroner and the coroner. He was enabled by uh, the deputy chief coroner and the chief coroner. Tina Pittaway now with more on how the case against Leanne unfolded and her father's investigation 
of the investigators. Smith chose his victims. I can't even refer to him as a monster anymore. Incompetent, arrogant, thinking dirty. In June of 1997, Leanne Gagnon was busy planning her wedding with Pete Thibault. They dated briefly in high school, and in the aftermath of Leanne's son Nicholas's sudden death in November of 1995, the two had reconnected. But a huge shadow was cast over what should have been a time of joy when Sudbury police knocked on Leanne's door at the home she shared with her parents. Interrogated at the police station for more than two hours, Leanne was told by police that they no longer believed Nicholas's death was the result of natural causes brought about by a bump to his head. Based on a reinvestigation of Nicholas's autopsy by a pediatric forensic pathologist from Toronto, police had a new theory. They believed that Leanne had killed Nicholas. Leanne was shocked and frightened. Well, numerous times I had asked to speak to my father or to speak to Pete. Throughout the interrogation, Pete had been sitting in the hallway with his uncle, Sergeant Leo Thibault, one of the investigators in the case. He told Pete about the reopening of the investigation into Nicholas's death, and that he and others believed foul play had occurred. Leo told Pete he was certain that Leanne had killed Nicholas. Pete told his uncle that that was absurd, that such a thing was impossible. Leo told Pete it wasn't too late to cancel his plans to marry Leanne. Pete said that wasn't going to happen. And at the end of a more than two-hour-long interrogation... One of the investigative officers told me, um, well, basically asked me if I would give consent to have Nicholas's body exhumed for another autopsy, uh, at which point I said absolutely not. And they said it didn't really matter whether or not I gave consent because Dr. Smith had, or this doctor, had um, requested it and it was going to be going through anyway. Sergeant Keach assured Leanne that the exhumation would be done early in the morning when no one else would be visiting the cemetery. So I was told that uh, they would try to be as respectful as possible. The exhumation would take place in the early morning hours, 6 or 7 a.m., before, um, before people actually started coming to the, to the cemetery to see their loved ones so that it wouldn't be a spectacle. Um, I was told the day it was going to happen. Leanne and her parents didn't plan on being there for the exhumation. They felt that seeing that would be too difficult. And I remember that day. June 25th, 1997. I remember being at home um, with my mother and my cousin. And I had found out that the exhumation was only taking place then, around around lunchtime. And I was just furious. So the, the cemetery was actually just a two-minute drive from my parents' house. So I got in the car and I drove to the cemetery. And when I got there, sure enough, I saw um, a big group of people at Nicholas's grave and the machines that were digging up the earth uh, they hadn't even taken him out of the ground yet. I tried to get out of my car and an officer actually came to my car. Now, this officer, uh, which, you know, just makes the story even more horrible, 
Um, this officer, which was one of the officers in the case, was my um, then fiance, Pete's uncle. So he came to my car and he told me I was not allowed to get out of my car until the exhumation was over and, and they had left with Nicholas's body. So he stood by my car and did not let me get out of my car. And I could see in the distance that amongst the adult that uh, the adults that were there, there was a young child and he had toys that looked like like trucks and things like that. And he was playing in the mounds of dirt that had been dug up out of my son's grave. Uh, he looked to be about nine or ten years old. I was infuriated to the point of tears, and I had asked um, the officer who that was, and he wouldn't he wouldn't answer me. Um, so I I sat there, I watched, and I waited until they had pulled Nicholas's body out of the ground, and they had loaded it up, and they had left um, with all the other people that were at the grave. At that point in time, um, the officer left, and I was able to go to see what they had done. They had done some damage to, you know, the uh, the site that we had prepared for him. We had made a nice little flower bed for him and they, it was all broken. Um, and it just, it just opened up wounds again. It was, it was like the day we had buried him all over again. My mother had called my father to, uh, to tell him what was going on. Well, I immediately wrote a letter to the Deputy Chief Corner asking him, what in the hell kind of outfit are you running when you send kids to, to enjoy themselves when somebody's grave is being desecrated? And he assured me that he didn't know who the kid was because Smith didn't have any children, which was bullshit. Smith had three children. But he lied right off the bat trying to prepare Smith. Charles Smith would later explain to Chief Coroner James Young that he'd worked in Toronto until 9 p.m. the night before the exhumation was scheduled. His wife was concerned that he might fall asleep on the four-hour drive to Sudbury, so she insisted he bring along one of their children. Smith told Young that neither he nor anyone else present considered it inappropriate. Morris Gagnon would report this incident in a formal complaint to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, that complaint to the college would be the first of many he would make about Smith's behavior in the coming months. The second autopsy, which was done by Smith, was scheduled for the following day. It took place in Toronto. Lead investigator Sergeant Bob Keats attended and photographed it. So much was riding on the autopsy. Keats was anxious to gain a solid understanding of exactly what had happened to Nicholas Gagnon and he was confident that Smith would provide answers. Smith had floated three theories, one involving blunt force trauma, another that pointed towards asphyxiation, which is what Keats had accused Leanne of in their interrogation of her days earlier. Smith had also offhandedly mentioned poisoning as a possibility at one point. For a pathologist to have that many competing theories heading into an exhumation is unusual to say the least especially when none of the theories align with the conclusion of the original autopsy. In pathology, one of the fundamental principles is that the findings of the initial autopsy carry the most weight due to the fact that those conducting the procedure are working with a body that is closest to its time of death. So much can happen as the body begins to break down that can be misinterpreted. 
especially if the person leading the autopsy hasn't had sufficient training. But the extent of this uncertainty wasn't known to Leanne and her family at the time. All they knew was that as far as the province's leading pediatric pathologist was concerned, Leanne had murdered her son. There were also layers of personal relationships between the Ganyaw family and members of the Sudbury police force, which made this whole homicide investigation into Leanne even more emotionally fraught for the family. Oh, it was a nightmare. Um, There were so many other facets to this uh, whole thing, apart from the fact that I was being investigated for, for murder. Leanne's fiancé, Pete, wasn't the only person to have close personal connections to Sudbury police officers. Her parents were very close with the chief of police and his wife. My wife and the chief's wife were the closest of friends. They haven't talked since that day. The chief of police at the time was a very dear family friend who knew our family. Uh, His wife was at the hospital when I gave birth to Nicholas. They were at the funeral. They came to the house to check in on how we were doing after Nicholas had passed away. And they knew the family and they knew the dynamic of the family. He knew that there's no way this could have happened, yet he was very much on board with this investigation and definitely pushing for um, the department to find evidence of my guilt. As well? The deputy chief of police, again, very dear family friend, his wife and my mother were best friends. For Leanne to go from grieving mother to murder suspect, all in the span of just a couple of days, was completely overwhelming. And to know that the police had been investigating this as a murder for months, with herself as a lone suspect, was almost too much to grasp. It seemed like everybody was against me and all these people that should have been in support of me were against me. So it, 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 was, very, uh, it was very scary because I felt like all these people are, are trying so hard to bring me down. And when I heard that this, you know, at the time I didn't know what Dr. Smith's credentials were either. And when I hear that this um, renowned doctor has been able to find proof that Nicholas was in fact hurt in some way, uh, the, thought, the thought just made me sick. Because uh, it starts to make you question, did I do something wrong? Did I hold him too tight that day? Did he injure himself when he was, you know, um, at, the, at the babysitter's house when he wasn't in my sight? He saw his, you know, his father every now and then, every second week or so. Uh, did something happen when he was with his father? So it just, it just started making me question everything to the point where I was, you know, questioning my sanity. For several hours, Sergeant Keach photographed Nicholas as Smith did his work. Keach also gathered one piece of evidence from the casket that police had gotten a warrant for, the letter Leanne had written to Nicholas that was buried with him. And they had a behavioral um, expert, I think it was a behavioral pathologist, examine the letter. Detective Sergeant Jim Van Allen worked with the behavioral sciences section of the Ontario Provincial Police. Early in the investigation, he was given Leanne's original statement. At the time, Keach, the lead investigator, had no issues with Leanne's statement, but Van Allen's assessment of her statement was damning. 
He submitted a report to Keach that said based on his interpretation of her statement, Leanne was hiding something and had played a, quote, active role in her son's death. Van Allen, working with nothing but that statement, went so far as to suggest that asphyxia was the cause of Nicholas's death. As well, Van Allen inferred from Leanne's statement that she had strained relationships with her parents and with Nicholas. Keach dismissed that outright because he knew, through the chief as well as the deputy chief, that the family was close. But once the exhumation had been given the go-ahead, Keach was curious what Van Allen, spinner of fantastic theories based on sparse evidence, would make of the letter Leanne wrote that was buried with Nicholas. And for some strange reason, this pathologist was able to determine, based on what I wrote, um, that I was guilty and I had remorse, and I was basically asking for forgiveness um, with this letter that I had written to to my son, uh, because there had been a couple of spelling mistakes wrong, like a couple of spelling mistakes in the letter. As well, Leanne had written, quote, There are no other babies in the world as beautiful as you are, or as smart and personal and funny. Van Allen described that as being written for others to read. He found words like sweet and darling and my precious baby boy to be overused and suspect because Leanne hadn't used those words in her police statement. I didn't use uh, pronouns that this pathologist believed were accurate for a mother speaking to her son. Uh, it was it was really bizarre. Nicholas's second autopsy focused on finding evidence of blunt force trauma, something that wasn't ever mentioned in the original autopsy. That autopsy noted a slight bump on his head, presumed to be a result of Nicholas hitting his head on the underside of his grandmother's sewing table. It's also highly unusual for a pathologist to seek out evidence to support a theory or a specific suspect. It's not supposed to work that way. The evidence should speak for itself. The evidence should lead investigators to theories. Pathologists also shouldn't approach autopsies with a fixed idea of what happened and then cherry-pick details in an autopsy to fit that theory. Where the hell does blood force trauma come in? You can't have blood force trauma without damage. And even the police, I've read the police uh, in Discovery. I managed to read all the police files. And one of the, the officers there was just saying, how can there be exactly what I said? How can there be blood force trauma with no damage? So they were starting to question that too. Although there was no definitive proof as yet to prove Leanne had murdered Nicholas, Morris knew he needed to get his daughter a lawyer. I had no reason to believe that Smith was not competent and he wasn't the best in his field and that sort of thing. So at that point, I figured, yeah, you know, we're going to have to defend this. And I retained a, a lawyer just in case. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. With Charles Smith's second autopsy conducted, the Gagnon family, as well as the police in Sudbury, were anxious to see the report. Smith promised Keach it would be done within a couple of weeks. A month went by with no word from Smith, so Keach called Smith's boss, Jim Cairns. Cairns told Keach he'd spoken with Smith, and the preliminary results showed evidence of hemorrhaging inside Nicholas's skull which supported Smith's theory of blunt force trauma. Another month went by with no autopsy report. Leanne and Pete married in August, with the grim specter of a murder investigation hanging over the families. So, I mean, that definitely put a, put a damper on the ceremony. Um, yeah, shortly after I got married, uh, Pete and I were expecting our first baby together. So I was in fear of... Uh, you know, am I going to deliver a baby in jail? Is this baby going to be taken away from me? Uh, so it was just, it was a very difficult time. And I kept checking uh, with the police, with uh, Bob Keach, and no, it's not in, and no, it's not in. And they were phoning the coroner's office looking for it, but apparently he had a reputation 
of being that slow. And I, I'll do it when I feel like it. Smith's slow pace gave Morris Gagnon and the lawyer he'd hired to defend Leanne against potential charges time to find out more about the man who was determined to prove Leanne was a murderer. Those initial months with regards to the criminal investigation, my father started um, looking into Dr. Smith and his credentials, uh, where he worked, why he was chosen uh, as the chief you know, medical investigating officer with regards to um, children deaths. And he quickly learned that it was going to, it was going to be very, very difficult to um, lay any types of complaints against Dr. Smith with regards to his work because the people that you would make complaints to in this regard happened to be Dr. Smith's employers who uh, thought very highly of Dr. Smith. I soon found out that the chief coroner's office was sort of a closed shop. There was no way, no place to put in a, a complaint that was looked by, looked at by a third party. They looked at their own complaints and wrote their own letters and resolved. So they did whatever the hell they wanted. Smith cannot operate in the vacuum. He had to have support from the deputy chief coroner and the coroner. He was, he was enabled by the deputy chief coroner and the chief coroner. Dr. Smith, his employers, uh, Dr. Cairns, were starting to circle the wagons. They were going to support each other. So chances were that the complaints weren't even going to be heard uh, fairly. It would be an agonizing five long months before Charles Smith at last completed the written autopsy in November. Throughout that time, Smith had been assuring Keach and others involved in the investigation that his findings would support his theory of death by blunt force trauma. On November 28th, Smith flew to Sudbury to walk investigators, as well as Crown Counsel Greg Rogers, who would ultimately decide on whether to move ahead with charges, through his findings. A group of officers, including Chief Alex McCauley, Deputy Chief Jim Cunningham, and lead investigator Sergeant Bob Keach gathered in the chief's office. Smith told the group that his key findings supported his theory of blunt force trauma as the cause of Nicholas Gagnon's death. More specifically, something called cerebral edema had killed Nicholas. To back up his claims, he described discoloration along the skull sutures, as well as a bone in the skull called the parietal bone. This discoloration, Smith claimed, was due to excessive blood loss, which was consistent with a blow to the head. Crown counsel Greg Rogers was unimpressed. He was particularly troubled by a statement in Smith's report. In the absence of a credible explanation was the sentence he had issues with. The mere suggestion that a credible explanation was absent also implied that there may be one. Investigators just hadn't found it. It's a kind of gaping hole that defense attorneys love. Smith assured Rogers that he used that phrase in all of his reports, that it had never been a problem before. Well, on this day, with this case, it was a problem. The phrase was a deal breaker for Rogers. Crown attorney just said, no, there's no evidence there to, for a conviction. Crown counsel Greg Rogers would not be bringing charges against Leanne. So that was the end of that. The officers gathered were stunned. For close to a year, they had grown more and more convinced of Leanne Gagnon's, now Leanne Thibault's, guilt. 
Their belief was built almost entirely on Charles Smith's assurances that she was guilty. And now, they wouldn't have a chance to prove that in court. As the reality sunk in among the men gathered that Leanne Thibault would not be charged, Sergeant Keach shared with them, including Smith, that Leanne and Pete were expecting a baby. And so began a new, terrifying chapter for Leanne Thibault and her family. Police would have to inform children's aid of Leanne's pregnancy, Notifications in cases of suspected child abuse, even if no trial or conviction occurred, are mandatory in Ontario. We were told in December that there would be no criminal charges. There was not enough evidence to support any um, any foul play with regards to Nicholas's death. So the case at that point was dropped. And I thought at that point, everything was over. So from December to May... Uh, everything was great. I was nearing the end of my pregnancy. Um, but in May, um, a children's aid officer contacted my husband at his place of work and told him that the children's aid had been contacted by um, Dr. Charles Smith uh, with regards to me being pregnant and the fact that he was completely convinced that I had killed my first baby and he believed that I was capable of doing it again. So Children's Aid were going to intervene and apprehend um, my baby at birth. So my husband was told this out of the blue while he was at work. He was also told by this uh, Children's Aid worker that they understood that Pete had no involvement uh, with Nicholas, wasn't involved in his life. Uh, so therefore, they had complete confidence that he could be uh, a good parent to uh, our unborn child. So if he decided to leave me, he could take uh, take the baby upon, um, upon her birth and baby wouldn't be apprehended. But if he chose to stay with me, then the baby would be apprehended at birth. And uh, they were really heavy-handed. Uh like, how do you do? And uh, we are going to take your baby at birth and you will never see it again. And that's how they started. That's how heavy handed they were. Again, panic just ensued. And in my head, I just equated it to I lost a child to death and now I'm going to lose another child to being just ripped out of my hands and given to somebody else. Um, so in my head, I was already seeing this as, as a loss. Um, something else to mourn. Morris Gagnon and his lawyer, Burke Keeney, went into overdrive in their efforts to defend Leanne. The threshold for a child to be permanently removed from a family is much lower than criminal courts. In order to seize Leanne's newborn baby, children's aid merely had to consider Smith's evidence on, quote, the balance of probabilities, rather than proof beyond a reasonable doubt required for criminal charges. They didn't have to prove we were guilty. We had to prove we were innocent. And that's the way they operated. Leanne's due date was June 24th, about a month away. And I was, I was terrified. Fortunately, Morris and Burke Keeney had made a fair bit of headway months earlier in anticipation of having to defend Leanne in a criminal trial. And my father started really investigating Dr. Smith's work. He started to see this pattern of incompetent behavior and not only incompetent but it it almost seemed malicious 
Um, the fact that he went above and beyond uh, the responsibilities and the duties of his job um, with regards to uh, cases that he was a part of. Although he may have only been um, required to testify uh, within a case, he would make a point to go speak to uh, police officers or go speak to attorneys and give his opinions where in some cases it was it wasn't legal for him to do so with regards to uh, my case he was the one who contacted the children's aid where he's not legally allowed to do that smith and his boss deputy coroner jim cairns met personally with lawyers for the children's aid society and were adamant that even though the crown had decided against criminal charges the chief coroner's office still supported smith's findings Morris and Angie Gagnon, who would in total spend more than $100,000 defending Leanne, were granted temporary custody of their newborn granddaughter, Nicole, when she was born on June 27th. I wouldn't be able to be with her, but at least I knew that I knew where she was going and she was going with family. Leanne and Pete rented an apartment nearby. Leanne was only allowed supervised visits with her daughter, under the eye of a children's aid worker. During the course of this investigation, um, it was determined we would go to trial. We didn't have a trial date until, well, I think Nick would have been well over a year old. So during this time, my father again was researching and um, looking into Dr. Smith and looking into our case. One of the first things that Morris Gagnon insisted on was a review of that second autopsy conducted by Smith. And finally the chief coroner agreed and they got this uh, medical examiner. Dr. Mary Case was a forensic pathologist and the chief medical officer for St. Louis, Missouri. Well, she looked at this and she came back and there is absolutely nothing to suggest that this child got injured, purposely injured. Dr. Case methodically dismantled every aspect of Charles Smith's findings, beginning with his attributing Nicholas's death to a head injury. The brain swelling, according to Dr. Case, was completely normal and was related to Nicholas having a large head. This was supported by measurements in the first autopsy that Smith disputed. Brain swelling, Dr. Case noted, is not uncommon in many deaths and should never be used in isolation to make a diagnosis of a head injury. The evidence of hemorrhaging within the brain was also dismissed by Dr. Case. The scale of hemorrhaging Smith identified was nowhere near what would be present from a violent, abusive incident traumatic enough to cause death. She determined the hemorrhaging, as well as discoloration in the skull bone cited by Smith as evidence Leanne had killed Nicholas, weren't signs of an injury, but rather were most likely caused during the autopsy. She also ruled out possible asphyxia, as there was no evidence to support that. Ultimately, Dr. Case said the cause of death was undetermined. You have to understand where, as a parent, as a grandparent, at some point you have to shut something off in your brain to be able to go through the type of information that we went through. No parent should be going through their child's autopsy reports with a fine-tooth comb. No parent should have to read, you know, how much their child's organs weighed uh, and, and things of this nature. Yet these are things that 
my father did. Uh, and it was my father contacting different doctors and asking them if they would review the autopsy results to see if they were in fact accurate. Um, and it was thanks to that and the different doctors that reviewed the information that were able to prove, no, this is really shoddy work and there's no way that you could come to a determination of, um, of murder based on this information. With Dr. Case's review of the autopsies and other expert testimony that Morris arranged, as well as evidence of a disturbing pattern of negligence on behalf of Smith's superiors, the Children's Aid Society dropped their case against Leanne Thibault. I've always called the Children's Aid the, the vampire agency. They hate this. They like, they don't want anybody to know what they're doing. Everything is confidential. We can't say anything because of the child's privacy. We, you never know what they're doing. And then once you bring them out into the light, they just panic. Coming up on Story Hunter Podcasts. With children's aid out of his family's life and an ever-growing body of evidence that Charles Smith was an incompetent menace, Morris Gagnon sets his sights on exposing the pathologist and his enablers. He had to go to a small university in Saskatchewan, and he came back with the most basic degree in pathology. The man had no qualifications whatsoever. When he ran into us, I mean, the chief coroner called me and told me to back off because I was ruining his career or Smith's career and his and that sort of thing. And uh, I made it quite clear to him that, you know, you guys are ruining your own goddamn careers. And the next step is you go public. They don't like public. And we'll hear from Brenda Wadby, who was accused of murdering her 22-month-old daughter, Jenna, based on evidence gathered by Charles Smith. The community hated me and I wouldn't speak to the media. I mean, it's hard because if I don't tell my side, and even when I did tell my side, it was still difficult. the, The community didn't want to accept that I wasn't guilty of what they said. And they just, they hated me. That's next time on Think Dirty, The Disgrace of Dr. Charles Smith. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Tina Pittaway. Executive producer is Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.